You are listening to Summer in the Psalms Part 2, a Bay City Church sermon series where we explore some of our favorite psalms that will help us grow together spiritually. Visit baycity.church to learn more about us. Good morning, Bay City Church. My name is Jose. Uh, this morning we are continuing through our series in the Psalms. I think that it is a really refreshing series for us to be in right now, given all the circumstances of what we've been going through. Not to say that in the Psalms there's not a lot of lament, not a lot of anger, bitterness, but it is also a person that is talking to, from his heart about who God is and about our relationship to Him. And he does it through songs, he does it through, um, through these lyrics that are very inspiring for us. And this morning we're going to be speaking through uh, Psalm 19. And it is uh, one of those psalms that uh, doesn't get a lot of credit in the Bible, at least not as much as it should be due. Um, but, you know, because we usually when we think of the psalms, we think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or we think of psalms of praise like Psalm 95 and Psalm 100. Let's say, worship the Lord with gladness and come before Him singing with joy. But in Psalm 19, it said, C.S. Lewis says of this psalm that it is the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. And this is why I believe that this is one of the greatest psalms as well. It is because David recognizes two of the main ways in which God reveals himself to people. You know, in this day and age, it is very hard to uh, have deep relationships. You don't have to interact with people that much at all. You know, you uh, have a question about a bill or something and you call uh, the number for customer service and what you get on the other side is an automated machine to help you with all of your problems that it barely helps. You know, like throughout this uh, season, we have also realized that we don't even need to be in person with other people. We can just do most of our work from home. And even when we're home and we schedule a few Zoom calls to see other people and interact with them at least a little bit, we dread that time. We're getting tired of seeing people even through Zoom. We can order everything online. And even when we go to the store, we can uh, choose to go through self-checkout so we can interact with absolutely nobody. And my fear is that sometimes we treat our relationship with God in the same way that we treat our relationship with other people. We feel like it can be automatic. You know, we pray for, for our meals every single day and it's just automatic. We don't have a relationship with David and David recognizes that God is actually trying to reveal himself to us each and every day. And he does that and he writes that here in Psalm 19. So before we uh, jump into our text uh, this morning, I just want to remind us of some of the things that David was looking at whenever he was writing this psalm. It is most likely that he was writing this psalm while he was tending sheep. And if he was tending sheep, there was only a few things that he could actually do while he was doing that. He didn't have a cell phone to entertain himself, which is very hard for us to believe. My phone broke a few weeks ago. And the week that I didn't have my cell phone, I was going crazy, absolutely crazy. But he had a slingshot, probably. He had uh, a harp to play music. And he could look into the skies. He could look into the mountains and ponder upon who God is by looking at that. So as we jump into our text, I want to show you uh, some reading 
some of the pictures of maybe some things that David was looking at and maybe some things that he was not looking at but also that reveal the glory of God through his creation. And it is Psalm 19, 1 through 6, and this is from a translation called the Living uh, Bible, which is not a translation that uh, we recommend for deep study, but it is good for devotional, and I hope that it helps you understand the heart of David as he's looking through creation, and he says, The heavens are telling the glory of God. They are marvelous display of His craftsmanship. Day and night they keep on telling about God. Without a sound or word, silent in the skies, their message reaches out to all the world. The sun lives in the heavens where God placed it and moves out across the skies as radiant as a bridegroom going to his wedding or as joyous as an athlete looking forward to a race. The sun crosses the heavens from end to end and nothing can hide from its heat. The first thing and the first um, way in which God reveals himself that David noted in this psalm is this, that God reveals himself through his creation. And you know, you look at our creation and you don't just know everything about God. You don't just look at the skies and say, oh wow, you know, Jesus died for my sins and this is how I can come to the Father. But he realized a few things, you know, even though Romans does say that we are without excuse because of what he has presented himself through creation. There are a few things that we can know for sure by looking at his creation. And it is one of the things that David realizes that we can know about God is this, that God is consistent and that God is reliable. Psalm 19, 1 through 2, jumping back into English Standard Version, um, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day he pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. It is very important to know that all of these words are implying that it is a continuous action, that God is consistently through the heavens, the heavens are consistently declaring the glory of God, that the skies above are continuously proclaiming his handiwork. Then he talks about day to day pouring out speech and night to night the consistency of everything in creation is there. And when we look at his creation, we can see his power in the mountains. We can see his love and care for things that we need. This is something that we take so much for granted that God is so consistent with the things we need from his creation like food, like oxygen, like light like water, and many of us throughout this time, we have so much anxiety about so many things. We have anxiety about COVID-19, like when is this going to end? Am I going to lose my job? You know, just a few, a uh, couple of months ago, a newspaper was putting extra sheets, uh, blank sheets in the newspaper because they were afraid that people would not have enough toilet paper. That sounds awful. But people were worried about not having toilet paper. We worried sometimes about what we're going to eat. You know, we worry about things that, that are sometimes not even important. But this is not something that is brand new to people. Anxiety is not brand new to people. And Jesus recognizes in Matthew 6, and he's in front of people that have gone through so many things. And he tells 
than this in the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of his most famous sermons. He says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, meaning look at the creation. That's what he's meaning. Look at the creation. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than them? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Again, look at creation and what God is trying to tell us to creation. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you are little faith, do not, therefore do not be anxious by saying, what will we eat, or what will, what will we drink, or what will we wear, for the Gentiles seek, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them but seek the, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Today, if you're one of those people that are very anxious, I want to encourage you to take a look at the things that God is consistently providing through you, through His creation, how God is trying to communicate His love and His care and His power to you. One other thing that we can know through His creation is that God reveals Himself to all people. Psalm 19, 3-4 says, There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all of the earth, and their words to the end of the world, meaning what God is trying to reveal to, through creation, He's trying to reveal it to you, and He's trying to reveal it to all people from all nations, people that you love and people that you despise, people that you disagree with and people that you agree with. God is trying to communicate his love and his care for all people. And I think that this is one of the most uh, valuable messages for us today, that God indeed wants to reveal himself to all people because he loves people. This is who God is. This is at the heart of what God did for us, that he loves people. In Matthew 5, 43, again in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says um, this, have you not heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy? But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, his creation, and sends rain, again his creation, on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do you not do not even tax, tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, I think that, that so many of us are at times confusing justice for revenge. This is what justice is to us today. It's equality of opportunity. It's no discrimination in jobs. Equality of education. You know, if somebody does something wrong, 
that legally they are taken into custody if somebody does something right or not doing anything wrong, that they don't take into custody and question just because of who they are or what they look like. That is justice. But so many times we confuse justice and we want revenge. This is revenge, on the other hand. Revenge is wanting the worst possible thing for somebody that is possibly racist, maybe Derek Chauvin. That is not what God is wanting. God wants justice, but he does not want revenge because he loves even the worst people, the unjust, people who hate you, who have oppressed you. God loves those people, and because we love God, we want to do the same thing for those people. We want to pray for those who persecute. We want to pray for those who are oppressing. We want to love them and desire for their salvation and their reconciliation with God. Next thing, I, I hope that, you know, maybe that made you a little bit uncomfortable, and that's a good thing. Um, the next thing that God is trying to tell us through His creation is that God is far better than all of our idols. Psalm 19, 4-6 says, In the skies He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man who, that runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens and its circuit, circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. One of the first things that we note out of this passage is that David assumes that God is the one that is placing all of creation. And this was not something that people commonly assumed about things like the sun. You know, still today, people are worshiping creation, not the Creator. People are worshiping and getting confused by what God is trying to communicate through His creation. It was a common idol for people back then, but it is a common idol for some people again today. And this is just a quick application from this right now is that so many times we take things that God makes for us that are good and we corrupt them and try to make them uh, just common, just make them like they are not, no, not of value. And take, for example, uh, the relationship that God created, the intimacy between one man and one woman. We have corrupted His creation into so many ways with so many letters and colors of the rainbow as we possibly can. And of this, uh, in Romans 1, Paul says and warns us that God gave people up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. In what ways are you making an idol of other things that are not God? God is trying to talk to you through His creation today and saying, I place a son that was once an idol for many people. What is your, your idol today? I'm here. I can be your God. And this is what God is trying to reveal through His creation. The second thing that David recognized in verse 7, he makes a big shift into talking about how God reveals Himself. And he says uh, in, Psalm, in verse 7, the law of the law of the Lord is perfect. Here David is recognizing that not only does God reveal himself through creation, but he also reveals himself to us through his word. How many of us can look at the law, you know, of, for example, just this country, um, 
you know, you can talk about loss um, or buy loss in companies. How many of you can look at that and say, wow, that law of the United States of America is absolutely perfect. I love how they use all of our taxes. I love just how they treat uh, things like, uh, like capital punishment. I love how they treat people. I love how they do this or that. I love how they treat abortions. How many of you can say that the, the law is perfect? This is why I, I'm a, it's a little disappointing that we don't have a better word for what David was trying to communicate. Here the word law means much more than just rules to follow. It means wisdom. It means instruction. And of this it says, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much finer, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. This is, he gives us a big list of what the word of the Lord is and how God is trying to reveal himself to us through it. And this is the list of what the word of God is. He says, the word of the Lord is perfect. Meaning there's no flaw. There's nothing missing out of the word of the Lord. God didn't leave out details about how to meet him. The next thing he says is his testimony is sure, meaning that it bears certain witness of the will of God and the duty of man. He says his precepts are right, meaning they are not arbitrary. God is not trying to impress on us things that are only good for God and bad for humanity. It says the commandment is pure. They are meant to bring purity and light in darkness. It says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It means it is, this fear is reverence for a good God and not stained by sin and malice. This word fear is also has really bad connotations in our world today. Like fear is usually, usually what you have for somebody that is bad, somebody that wants to harm you, but it is the complete opposite for God. It says also that the rules of the Lord are both true and they are righteous. We cannot say both things of many other uh, rules that we encounter in this world. It says that it is more to be desired, more valuable than gold and sweeter than honey. They should serve as a warning and it is rewarding. I, I want to I wanna know that David also points out that the word of the Lord is to be desired. That it, he talks about gold and he talks about honey. Both of these things were things that were of such high value in, back in the day. You know, today uh, you can go into Safeway and grab a little bear that has honey in it and it is not really that good. But back in the day, you had to go hunting for it. And when you found it, you had to climb on a tree, you had to pull it out, you had to endure a lot of pain, sometimes even death from, uh, from being stung by bees. It was something that was of such value that people were willing to risk a lot of who they were for it. 
and so that people could just have a little bit of taste of what it was like to taste honey but then it says that the law of the Lord is even sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb you know all of this wording is not just something that he's saying um, just because it sounds good just because hey it's God that said this I should say something nice about it but he has experienced something that I believe that many of you have experienced as well but have not noticed that it's for it to be true and he lists these things as well it says that the word of the Lord revives the soul you know, Isaiah talks about the power of God reviving the soul. In Isaiah 40, he also says, He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He also says that the word of the Lord makes wise the simple. This word simple doesn't mean just the way that you carry yourself or about the things that you wear. Are you a simple person in that way? It, talks, it means more about the way that you treat your mind. Are you somebody that is uh, very presumptuous on your thoughts? Are you teachable? This is where it's trying to get at. Are you a teachable person? Because wisdom only comes from the word to those who are simple those who are willing to learn from the Word of God. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. You, Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to advice. This is something that many of us could learn about today. You know, like everybody has their opinion set and nobody is going to change your opinion about nothing. And I see it on Facebook all of the time. What would happen if you sit with somebody that is also willing to listen to you and you learn from them as well? What would happen with our country if everybody was willing to sit down and have a good conversation, understanding each other's sides, each other's hurts and pains and experiences? What would happen even in our churches? Be teachable because God makes wise the simple. And the word of the Lord also rejoices the heart. This is just not, not just to make you happy when everything around you is happy. As a matter of fact, the word joy is often used when everything around you is going wrong. The word of the Lord is still give, able to rejoice the heart. It says that it also enlightens the eyes. In Matthew 6, 22, uh, Jesus says that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full in light. And this is what the Word of the Lord does, that it gives your body, your entire being, light. takes out darkness completely. You know, like, I've met many people that are very, very old. And I've seen them go through a lot of pain. As a matter of fact, one of my mentors throughout, uh, right after I left college, uh, his name is Jack. And he spent so many hours with me reading uh, teaching me what he had learned about God. He was a man that shared with me a lot of his struggles, um, a lot of his past sins, a lot of his hurts. Before I met him, two years prior to that, his wife um, had passed away and his son had, a, had a, a, a disease that was not curable. 
And he was a man that every single morning, 7 a.m. in the morning, I would wake up and I would go towards the kitchen and he was on the table reading the word of the Lord. He's turning 83 this year and he looks younger. He acts younger. He's active. He has all of these things that the word of the Lord does to a person. His soul is revived. He is a wise man. He has joy in his heart in the midst of all of his circumstances. He has enlightenment of his, like in his eyes. He knows the word. He knows God. And he shares that with every single person around him. This is not just a fairy tale or something that sounds good. This is true. God is trying to reveal himself to each and every one of us through his word. And this is what it does. David, in light of all of these things, looking at his word, looking at creation, he examines himself. And this is the last thing that he says to us. And it is this, that when, when we look at who God is through his word and through, through his creation, we can, our response is that of worship. Our response to God is that of repentance. In verse 12, he says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock. This is what God, David has to say when he sees how powerful, how mighty, how good God is, it's like, wow, I am a faulty person. I have mistakes that maybe I don't even know that I have. That is why he says, who can discern his errors? And one of the things that I notice out of here, it says that he says, then I shall be blameless. He doesn't mean then I shall be sinless. He means blameless, forgiven, given a second chance. And this is what we can do when we see the God of the universe, when we see the God of the Bible, that in spite of all of our mistakes, we can still come to him. And this is something that David didn't necessarily have, actually. And I am going to finish with this. Hebrews 1 uh, mentions of another way that God revealed himself to people. It says, Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is another way in which God has revealed himself to us that David didn't have. David didn't know. It's Jesus Christ coming down to us, dying for all of our sins. God wanted to not just show himself in creation, to not just show himself through his word. He wanted to have a deep relationship with each and every one of us. And he is calling us every single day through his creation. He is calling us every single day through his word. And this morning, I want to give you an, encouraging, an encouragement to you to look outside every single day. That the fact that you woke up today, you were able to breathe out oxygen, 
that you were able to see light, hear sound, it's a sign that God is trying to reveal himself to you in this very moment. That through his creation we can be reminded of his constant presence. That through his word we can know who God is. And through his son we can have a deep, everlasting relationship with our Father. And in light of this, we can come to him and just say, God, I don't deserve this. I am a faulty person. Make me whole. Make me like your son. And we finish this by saying what David says at the end, at the end, Oh Lord, you are my rock and you are my redeemer. Let's pray.